Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. All right, well, uh, let's uh, let's just uh, turn to uh, Scripture this morning, and if you have a uh, uh, your Bible's with you. You can turn to uh, Exodus chapter 18, and uh, we'll also be projecting uh, some passages on the, sc- on the screen as well. And uh, let's just take one moment and ask God to speak to our hearts through his word this morning. Lord, we need uh, clarity, thought, as we approach your word uh, uh, for our study in Exodus uh, today. We thank you for how you've already led us and how you've already spoken to our hearts in so many different ways this morning. And we're just uh, excited about the privilege of being here together and especially, Lord, that the fact that you're present with us and that you are good and that you are gracious and you're forgiving and uh, the fact that you are so attentive to our lives and care so much about us and are um, so uh, wonderful to us, Lord, is overwhelming. And uh, and yet, Lord, we know that in the midst of all of that, the trials that we face sometimes uh, can cause us to question and to stumble and so lord we pray that you would increase our faith and give us great faith today as we as we seek you through your word at this time lord be our teacher holy spirit we pray in jesus name amen so we're doing a three-year journey through scripture i am really excited about that we started back in september and we are in the book of exodus we're oh about halfway through the book of exodus and uh actually we're more than that because we're going to be speeding up just a little bit as we come into the second half and um but um uh, nonetheless it's just it's just been an incredible opportunity for me personally and i think it's i think it's a wonderful thing for us as a church that we're doing this because i think it's uh uh it's amazing to me how god uses his word in in our, in our lives uh in the past few weeks as we've ta- as we've thought about the uh, the uh, deliverance of israel out of egypt and their birth as a people uh, the Passover uh, feast, which, by the way, really sets the biblical background for what we just observed as the Lord's table, right? And the correlations there are, are very significant between the, the blood of the Lamb in Exodus chapter 13 and the blood of Jesus as we come into the New Testament uh, um, uh, days. Um, and also in there as well... Um, the important observation of how God now has a people, not just a not just a, a patriarch, not just a, even not just even an immediate family or a tribe, but but a whole people, a family of families. We talked about that a few years ago. We did a series of message on how the church is a family of families, and, and different guys shared in that series and. It's a wonderful thing to think about. And as we're studying through the book of Exodus, this really is where this whole concept of God's people really uh, really comes to us and originates. And so the references, if, you, if you're reading through, and I hope that you are reading, you're not just coming here on Sundays and listening to me uh, ramble on about these things for, for uh, uh, yeah, good time. Um, that you're picking up on these references, and they're, there's, they're everywhere throughout here. Here's a couple of quick examples. Uh, Exodus 16, verse 1, they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin. You see there the reference to the, uh, 
to the uh, congregation and the people of Israel. Then in chapter 17, verse 1, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin. So here they are, they're out in the wilderness, and they're moving. They've just come through the, the Red Sea, and now they are a people, and they're, they're uh, in the wilderness. And as they move about uh, in the wilderness, and they're faced by different trials and, and temptations and whatnot, and they have different experiences, uh, they're, they're, they're a people. And what they have in common is a shared identity of, of salvation and a shared relationship with, with, uh, with their God. And that is what gives them their identity. Their identity comes from that, that great salvation that they've just, uh, just experienced. And so last uh, week and the week before we started to talk, we were talking about the crossing of the, of the Red Sea and how the, the Lord gloriously saved the people. Um, and uh, just thinking some about what, how, that, how that happens and how it reflects what happens in your life and, and mine. Um, you know, we're, we're in a state of, uh, we find ourselves in a state of, of bondage, of agony, of despair, uh, because we don't have hope we la- and don't have peace. And then suddenly we, uh, we hear the gospel and when we respond to the gospel, we are wonderfully and gloriously saved. We're given new life. And uh, we thought we were living before, but now suddenly we realize that everything is new and this is so wonderful that we just want to dance. And they did. They danced. They pulled out the tambourine and they sang and they danced. And it was absolutely amazing and wonderful. Uh, was it triumphalism? Is it triumphalism? Uh, no, it's not. Is it real? Absolutely real and powerful. Being saved is a powerful and wonderful reality for the, in the lives of every one of us who know who Yahweh is, that he is the Lord of salvation. He is the covenant-keeping God. He is the, the God who saves. And then it's so wonderful, it's like, how could we, how could anybody ever doubt? How could ever, anybody ever doubt how amazing and how wonderful and how powerful uh, the Lord is? And yet, within mere paragraphs of Scripture, mere sentences of Scripture, we find the people in the wilderness, and that's exactly what they're doing. They're at Mara and at Elam and at, and at Horeb. They uh, uh, are faced with this reality, the same as you and I are, uh, the reality that we are only, uh, always, uh, only one step away, one event away, one circumstance away, one moment away from being right where these brothers and sisters uh, are in our passages that we're reading, which is grumbling and complaining. And so we go from being gloriously and wonderfully saved to grumbling and complaining in this much text. Of course, you and I would never do that, right? Why do we do that? Because that's what we do. Um, And it says in the the passage we've been reading, it says the Lord uh, and and elsewhere, the, the Lord wasn't happy with their attitude. He wasn't pleased with their ingratitude or with our 
general attitude of ingratitude, uh, but that he nonetheless fed them every day for 40 years. And uh, even their sandals didn't wear out. 40 years in the wilderness, and their sandals uh, didn't wear out. Um, the Christian life is a, a journey that involves many battles and uh, trials. But here's the good part. The good part is that God uses the wilderness. God uses those trials in our lives. And we talked about that last week. Um, there was so much, you know, at Mara and the water being made sweet and, and uh, Horeb and, the, and the, uh, the rock at Horeb that's a picture of Christ. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul makes that very clear there. But, and then we talked, and we talked about the man as well. And we didn't, we didn't take the time, and we're not going to take the time to go to John 6, but if you go to John 6, there's a whole uh, section in there where Jesus identifies himself with the manna in the wilderness when he says, I am the bread of life. They say, well, what sign are you going to do for us? Moses gave our fathers bread in the wilderness. What sign are you going to do? And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So all of these things that we're learning about in the Old Testament are very relevant and very practical for you and I who are living uh, this side of the cross of Jesus, this side of the incarnation, the coming of Christ into the world. So here they are in the, in the wilderness, the people are in the wilderness, and grumbling against God. They grumbled against God. They grumbled against their leaders. And uh, in today's text, uh, we have strong indications, well, that they also grumbled uh, against one another. Why? Because that's what we do. Um, the curriculum uh, asks the question, or encourages us to ask the question, what does complaining say about my heart? And I would encourage you to spend a little bit of time uh, thinking about that for a while. That's uh, a good thing to think about, Aaron. What does complaining say about what's happening in my heart? So the people grumbled against God. They grumbled against the leaders. They grumbled against, in, in the text today, uh, too, as well, we see they grumbled against one another. And that's, uh, and that's not good. That's not a good thing because, uh, because uh, they were a people, right? They were, they were, uh, they were uh, the children of Israel. And uh, we want our children to get along, right? Uh, but, it, but it's hard. And when we talk about trials in life, that makes up a lot of them, is the interpersonal stuff. You know what I'm talking about? The interpersonal stuff. I'm sure you know. Um, keep that in the forefront of your mind today as we think about Exodus chapter 18. That whole... biblical reality that we are a people of God. It's not just about me. It's not ever just about me. It's not ever just about you. We have to always be mindful of the fact that we are a people. We are a people. That is a focus and emphasis 
throughout these passages. That's why the words people and community and congregation keep coming up over and over and over and over again, continually, constantly, being reinforced, reinforced, reinforced. Today, uh, we're in Exodus chapter 18, and the word has spread. The things that have happened don't go unnoticed. The death of the firstborn in Egypt, the plagues that preceded that, all the way up to the crossing of the Red Sea and the terrible defeat suffered by the Egyptian army, Pharaoh and his armies. Word is spread. Chapter 18, verses 1 through 12. Just pardon me for a second. Reading... uh, Reading the first 12 verses, Jethro, <coughs> excuse me, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people. So there it is there, okay? How that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zephorah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons, the name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the other, Eliezer, uh, for he said, the God of my father had, was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Names, we've talked about this, names had great significance in biblical times. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. And of all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel in that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it should be, that's Yahweh, is greater than all gods. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. That's a theme, right? Coming through those early chapters in Egypt, the Red Sea, right? Okay. The calling of Moses, Exodus 3. Uh, Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with, with Moses' father-in-law before God. Um, all right, let's just stop there for a minute. All that he had done for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. That's what Moses told uh, Jethro. Now that seems like a pretty good outline uh, for a testimony if you're going to share your testimony, that would be a pretty good outline. If somebody asked you to share your testimony, you might want to consider this outline right here. It says that he told him all that the Lord had done, as well as all the hardship that they had gone through, and how the Lord had delivered them. That's quite a testimony. And Jethro welcomed 
that testimony. He welcomed the news. He didn't get all defensive or insecure. He just said, praise God. Now I know. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. So there's a, obviously a lot of respect here and, and, uh, and whatnot between these, uh, these men. But uh, we're not, we don't know a lot about Jethro. Uh, some have speculated that Jethro, prior to this, may have even been a polytheist, uh, that he believed in multiple gods. Uh, we don't really, we really know, but, but, but here they are now, and they're having this conference here together, or maybe we should think of it more in terms of a worship service and fellowship time, because they're eating and fellowshipping together in the presence of God, which is, uh, which is pretty cool. Then in chapter, uh, same chapter, verses 13 through 16, it says, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, here's his explanation. He says, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and, and I make them uh, know the statutes of God and his laws. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, Moses' father-in-law responds, chapter uh, 18, verses 17 to 23. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. So It's like he's saying, saying here, you need to keep doing what you're doing, but, he says in verse 21, however, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide for themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. And if you do this, God will direct you, and you will be able to endure, and all the people will also go to their place in peace. So again, it's like, it's like he's saying, you keep doing what you're doing, but, but you're missing something here. Moses, you, you know, you're, a great, you're a great leader, but you're missing something. How do you, how do you take advice? I was going to ask you, how do you feel about advice? But that might mean, how do you feel about giving advice? And most of us feel differently about giving advice than we do about taking advice. I'm talking about advice in an area where you feel you have an immense amount of uh, knowledge and understanding already, like your life. Most of us don't take advice easily. Most of us don't take advice well, especially when it's coming from someone who, for all we know, based on what we know about Jethro, may have been pretty young in the faith here. He was an older man, obviously, but 
You know, he uh, he's pretty new to the whole salvation laws and commandments of God thing, right? And here he is giving advice to uh, who? The greatest prophet who ever lived before Jesus. We would say Moses is a great man, right? You read through the New Testament. Remember, no name in the New Testament occurs more than, than Moses' name, only Jesus, okay? Moses was a great man, but curiously, Moses was also referred to, and you can, if you're taking notes, you can jot down Numbers 12, verse 3, where it says that Moses was the meekest man in the world, on the earth, the whole planet. I think, personally, I think that is an edit, edit, edit uh, comment. I don't think Moses wrote that himself. I think I know who did write it. I, I, I'm pretty sure it was Joshua. But um, anyways, do you think what might have run through Moses' mind at this moment, what it would have been? Do you think he might have been tempted to think, well, hold it a second. I'm Moses. Like, haven't you been reading the earlier chapters? Like, I'm the man, right? I mean, I put my hand up like this and seize part. Right? I, you know, I don't, I don't know. God speaks to me. Think about that. The revelations given to Moses, as, until we get to Jesus, they are greater than the revelation received by any other Old Testament person or prophet. God speaks to me. Um, I, I, uh, I like the, um, there's a quote in the, in the curriculum uh, from Augustine, who was one of the most revered of the early church fathers. He, he lived in the, <coughs> between the 300s and 400s AD. And some of you more scholastic types will recognize his name. Uh, but I like what he says about this. Listen, he said, God spoke to Moses, did he not? Yet Moses very prudently and humbly yielded to the advice of his father-in-law, foreigner though he was, with regard to governing and directing such a mighty nation. For he realized that, and this is the part here, for he realized that whatever intellect, uh, right counsel proceeded, it should be attributed not to him who conceived it, but to the one who is the truth, the immutable God. So Augustine is saying, it might have come out of Jethro's mouth, but ultimately, this was a word from the Lord. Now there's a very important lesson there for all of us. There's an important lesson there for me, and there's an important lesson there for you as well. Because as we read on through Scripture, God has some amazing vehicles for bringing truth into our lives. He will use little children. He even uses a donkey at one point, right? And the point is, it's not the vehicle, it's not the conduit, it's the ultimate source of where truth is coming from, because ultimately all truth comes from God. Do you understand that? 
All, all truth comes from God. This will help you when you're out in the world somewhere and you're a Christian. You say, I'm a Christian. I, you know, I've got the word of God and I've got, you know, I have the truth. And you'll bump into somebody in a setting that, and you're thinking, wow, there's no, how can this person ever know anything that's going to help me? And they'll open their mouth and something will come out and you go, wow, that's profound. And it's profoundly true. How can that be possible? Well, it's right, it's right, it's here. This is the way this works. All truth comes from God. And that doesn't mean we're not called to discern. We are called to discern. But ultimately, all truth comes from God. I could go into a, a whole spiel right now on the wisdom literature of the Old Testament because we are going to hopefully get there someday. But if you study the wisdom literature of the Old Testament and you study the wisdom literature of the ancient world outside of Israel, it's amazing how much the writers of the Proverbs borrowed from sources that were not within their theological worldview. And again, the reason for that is that ultimately all truth comes from God, even if he sends it to us via a donkey, a child, a father-in-law, or a rock. Okay? So are we good with that? That's important. So what that, what that should do, in effect... It, or at least it should be related to the fact that we need to humble ourselves. We need to humble ourselves, right? And here's, so here's Moses, uh, arguably the greatest prophet, taking advice from someone whom, well, I've already said it, okay? I don't need to say it again. And uh, I think that that commends him. I really think it does. I think that commends Moses. Not only that, but the lesson he learned is, is very important. Because Jethro is schooling Moses on leadership. And leadership is important. And it's also misunderstood, isn't it? Sometimes we see leadership as, as something that causes uh, one to rise above others and therefore it is something to be coveted or hoarded because of the honor that it bestows. But leadership really isn't like that at all. At least it shouldn't be like that at all. Because it's not ex a matter of exclusivism or elitism. Leadership is meant to be shared. And that's really, that's what I called in my notes as I was preparing for this morning. That's the title I chose for today. Shared Leadership. And I believe that that's the message that uh, Jethro was sharing with Moses and that, Mo and that God wanted to get through to Moses is that leadership is something to be shared and shared as much as possible, which makes leadership, like a lot of other things in the kingdom of God, it makes leadership something that when you share it, 
Or the more you share it, the more you have. God does that. Now, notice in verse 15, if you will, it says, the people come to me to inquire of God. The people come to me, Moses says to Jethro, the people come to me to inquire of God. And Jethro says, what you're doing is not good. Think about that. Think about the implications of that. Because it would appear that Moses must have been uh, thinking of himself as uh, that type of, of intervention and that type uh, of revelation for the people, uh, for leading the people. But, but notice what happens in the remainder of the passage, okay? Moses takes Jethro's advice he listens to his father-in-law, verse 24 through 27. Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Okay? Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves, which is exactly what Jethro counseled him to do. And then it says in verse 27 that Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went to his own country. Good to see them come, good to see them go, right? <laughs> uh, so in terms of his advice, uh, it's clear that there's an emphasis on character here. I think we, we were wise to notice that. There's an emphasis on character. It says, uh, look for uh, able men who, uh, from the people, men who fear God and who are trustworthy and who hate a bribe. So clear emphasis on uh, character, but it also is clearly pluralized. There is a multiple, to leadership here. And also, uh, we, the word judge or judging uh, kind of throws us sometimes, you know, that, that uh, leadership is about, you know, how is leadership about judging? But, but the word uh, judge, judge here simply, it just means to discern or to decide. And think about it. Think about how many times a day you decide something. Think about that. I'm not talking about the benign decision whether to, to wear, you know, blue socks or gray socks. But I mean, really, how many times a day? Right? How do you know what the will of God is? It's a question we ask a lot. Do you think these people ask that question? What about all these disputes that we get in with one another? Oh, I know some of them are, most of them aren't that big. You know, we don't get in big disputes a lot, but we get in little disputes all the time. And, uh, and sometimes uh, they do get big, you know, and we have complaints against one another. And, and uh, you know, probably, probably no more so than in our, right in our own side of our own four walls of our own houses, right? It's hard to work that stuff out. I think, uh, I think we need help. I think we need direction. Where do we go for that? These are important questions. They're practical questions. They're very real questions. Um, 
And I think the people in, in, the, in these scenarios that we're, we're reading about here in Exodus 18, the scenario is that, uh, that, that, that uh, Moses here is looking for people uh, that would help, or leaders that would help people seek God's will for their lives. Not to take the place of God in people's lives. That's another problem, another misunderstanding of, of what leaders do. When, when, when we put leaders in the place of God or in between us and God, as if, as if another human being is somehow going to mediate our relationship with God, which is not, should never happen. Not unless, that human, not unless that person is the son of God, the eternal son of God. So leaders don't, don't mediate that. Uh, that's not the role uh, of, uh, of leaders. So if a person is going to hear from God or have a relationship with God, um, it's not the role of leaders to mediate that. It's direct and personal. Is that an important understanding? I believe it's very important. Because uh, Bill Jackson, if you're going to have a relationship with God, it's not going to be through me. Right? Say, say yes, Bill. Yes. <laughs> You see what I'm saying? Like that, That's what we're talking about here, right? Leaders do not play that role. But we assist, leaders assist and facilitate and help people seek God. We point people to Jesus, right? That's, all of us do that. We're supposed to do that. We're supposed to point people to Jesus. When so, if somebody comes to you and asks you for help, you should respond. But as you respond, make sure you point them to Jesus because you can't really do a whole lot for them. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying you can't play a role. There is a, there is a definite role. In these, this passage here, there is a definite role in place for leadership. But let's be careful we understand what leadership is and what it isn't because that would be really important too. Now, this uh, I'm suggesting to you today that this... Uh, here is a is a picture of shared leadership, and the text is is very uh, very interesting. Uh, but so is the context, and I I have to admit to you I didn't notice this before, because I'm just learning t- like everybody else as we go through here. I mean I've I've studied these passages before and I've read them a number of times, but sometimes you don't you know we you, you don't make the connections and so on. And I never really made a connection before between. Uh, I don't think I did. I don't remember making a connection between Exodus 18 and Exodus 17. Now, what happened in Exodus 17? Well, it's the whole water from the rock thing. But I mean after that. After that, it says in verse 8 of Exodus 17, then uh, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, and that's the first reference, I think, to Joshua here, Uh, but we're going to be talking a lot about him later. Uh, Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men, go out and fight with uh, uh, Amalek, 
Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. And so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and they put it under him. And he sat on it. And that while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed um, Amalek and his people with the sword. And so they won the battle against the Amalekites. Uh, and I, you know, uh, I, I've been asking myself the question uh, this week, uh, why is this story here? And we could talk about how the battle belongs to the Lord and ultimately it was God, you know, crossing of the Red Sea, you know, stand still and see the salvation of God. But it's interesting here that they had to go out and fight. I find that interesting. But, but then, I, obviously, there's this uh, continual reference to Moses' hands, which is also very interesting. But then there's also the, uh, the presence of Aaron and her. And like, what's that all about? And I know that uh, this passage often in my, in my memory, when I've read this before, when I've studied this before, when I've read commentary on this before, a lot of the commentators say this is a picture of prayer. And this is Moses interceding for the people. Uh, and, and, the, and this is Aaron and her supporting Moses in his intercession for the people. And I guess I can see that. That, that makes sense to me, but... But, uh, but it's also curious, uh, really, you know, it's, it's curious to me because um, we often read that passage that I just read and we say, what, you know, what's God trying to say to the people here? Well, you know, what's he trying to teach the people? But, I, but as I read it this week, I, I asked myself a different question. I, the question I asked is, what's he trying to teach Moses? Because this is the context of chapter 18. And I, th I think, I'm not going to like proclaim it as you know, divine uh, commentary or anything like that, inspired commentary, but I, I think he might be trying to teach Moses at that time in preparation for chapter 18, which is leadership is something to be shared. You can't do this by yourself, Moses. And I think it was a way of God, uh, God's way of preparing Moses' heart for this very, very important lesson. And the lesson is that you don't have to go it alone. Take a look at chapter 18, verse 18. You and the people with you certainly will wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Think about this. Think about the lonely leader. Because up until this point, it appears that Moses was the lonely leader. It was him and all the people, and all the people were upset with him, and, and he'd go to God and say, God, I, you know, I, I can't do this. This is crazy. And God had a, a multiple answer for that. And one of the answers is in this passage right here. Isn't it? I think we should beware of the lonely leader to be be honest with you. I think we should beware of the lonely leader because nobody is supposed to go it alone. No matter who you are. 
matter who you are, you don't go it alone. No matter what position God has placed you in, in the family of God, in the body of Christ, we need to be sharing our journey. So say this with me. I can't do this alone. Say that. I can't do this alone. Say it again. I can't do this alone. Now turn to the person beside you and say to them, I can't do this alone. <laughs> we are a people. We are a people. And there are leaders, there should be, and there should be lots of us. And ultimately, our leader is Jesus. Can you say that? Jesus is my leader. Say that. Jesus is my leader. Say it again. Jesus is my leader. Now turn to the person and say that. Jesus is my leader. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're, I've pretty much uh, spent my, my, my dollar here. Um, but I do have a couple of other things that I have to tell you. Okay, because they're so, I think, in my humble opinion, they're so important to the subject. Two passages, two more passages of scripture come to my mind. Okay. The one passage is Matthew 18. Matthew 18 is where Jesus uh, says, if your brother offends you, go to him. You have a dispute with somebody, go to him. Don't go to somebody else, including the person you might perceive as the leader. Unless you're thinking about Jesus, which would be very appropriate, right? But go to the person. And if they, if they hear you, that's wonderful. That means that there's a, a willingness there to resolve the issue and you work it out. It's, that's the way it should be. But if they don't hear you, then you find somebody else and you go. And they still won't listen and you take it to the whole church community to try to resolve it. And the, you know, the whole thing there is do, do whatever it takes because your relationship with your brothers and sisters in Christ is more important than any sacrifice you might have to make. That's the, that's the principle. But then it says the most, the most wonderful part where two or more are gathered, there am I right in the middle. He resolves the conflict. He resolves the dispute. We need to be seeking God in our, our, uh, our complaints and our disputes, and, and that's, that's really, really important. The other passage that I have to direct you to is Numbers 11. Um, this whole subject here today of shared leadership is very pertinent for us. This scripture is very pertinent for us as a church in this day. Um, you know, we didn't go looking for this passage. It's not like we said, you know, we've got, we really need to be uh, 
focusing on leadership and leadership development and what leadership is and, and whatnot. And, you know, where, where, let me see, where is that in here? Is, it, is that in here? You know, we are going through the word of God together. And today, in his sovereignty, God has us in Exodus chapter 18. I find that pretty exciting because I, Exodus chapter 18 is about shared leadership. And back in the fall, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know this, but back in the fall, I spent a significant amount of time preparing in my heart and mind for a, uh, an all-day board vision meeting, which took place two weeks ago, January 12th, where we got together, and as a board, we prayed together, and we shared a board, I mean, by that I mean elders and deacons, official elders and deacons in our church, um, got together and talked and shared and prayed about where we're at as a church and, uh, and where we need to go. And uh, uh, it's, I don't share this with you to, to try to seek any kind of, any kind of glory for myself, but I did, I did a one-hour presentation that day, and I t- entitled it, this, this, and I chose this title back in the fall. I entitled it Shared Leadership. And, and when I'm studying this week in this passage, and, and I'm just, it's, just, it's just blowing me away how God sets these things up. Uh, it's just uh, amazing. And I told, uh, the, I told the, uh, the guys that day, I said, uh, you know, the common definition of leadership is influence. But um, the most practical working definition for leadership is responsibility, taking responsibility. And the only way for some to take less responsibility is for others to take more responsibility. Now, again, think back as, as you're turning to Numbers 11, and hopefully you are, think back to how this, all of this, this context of us being a people, that we are a people, okay? Now, over in Numbers 11, verse 16, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men of the Israel's, elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you there, and I will take some of the spirit that is on you and put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you may not bear it yourself alone. Pertinent, isn't it? Very pertinent. Now, skip down to verse 24. So Moses went out and told the people of the words of the Lord, and he gathered 70 men of the elders of Israel, and he placed them around the tent. And then the Lord came down in the cloud, and and he spoke, um, and spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on him, that's Moses, and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied. But they did not continue doing it. Then verse 26. Now two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad. Cool names. Um, If you have a set of twins, you could name them Eldad and Medad. Um, And the spirit rested on them, and they were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, and so they prophesied in the camp. And the young man uh, ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord, Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, and this is his response to Joshua, he said, Are you jealous for my, my sake? Listen, listen to this. 
Would that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Now, um, whether Moses knew at that moment that he was speaking prophetically or not, or whether he was just expressing the longings of his soul. I, we do have no way of knowing that he understood, but what he said was very prophetic. Because when, you come, when we come to the New Testament and we see Jesus uh, lifted high, exalted to the right hand of the Father, and we see him pouring out the Holy Spirit into the church of Jesus. It says that Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, and he stands up and he quotes from the prophet Joel in Acts chapter 2, where the prophet says that in that day, I will pour out my spirit on all the people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your uh, old men, um, your, as I say, the, your young men, will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. Now, the whole prophecy thing, even in Numbers, you know, the word prophecy in the Bible is a very wide range of meanings. It doesn't just mean foretelling. It also means foretelling. It can even, in places, it can even seem to, to be indicating singing. That singing in the Bible is called prophecy in some places. So it's not. So don't have a narrow mind when we think about this thing called prophecy. It's it's uh, it's speaking. It's proclaiming of of different kinds, but it's uh, but it's it's an amazing fulfillment of uh, Moses' uh, heart's longing, and it's certainly um, about uh, shared uh, leadership. You know, if you think about the coming of the Holy Spirit, and I am, I am at the end here. If you think about coming, the coming of the Holy Spirit, you know, and what that's all about, it's certainly about the blessing of having uh, uninhibited, uh, unencumbered access to God, right? But it also is about responsibility, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it about being equipped? And in this sense, in this sense right here, every Christian has a leadership calling on their lives. Now the roles are not the same. The responsibilities aren't all the same. Even in, 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 in Exodus chapter 18, you have different, you know, you have different levels or different responsibilities or different roles of leaders. So the responsibilities aren't the, aren't the same. But every, when you, the moment you say yes to Jesus as your Savior, you are not only receiving uh, blessings beyond your wildest dream, you're also receiving a calling on your life. And it comes with responsibility. You can't get away from that. You can try to shove it off on somebody else and say, I'll just do what so-and-so says. 
I'll just follow along behind, you know, and, and every time I have a question, I'll just ask them. <laughs> but it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. It really doesn't work that way. And the reason it doesn't work that way is because none of us are in this alone. We are all in this together. Every single one of us. It's not an exclusive thing. It's not an exclusive club. You notice what he says there. He says, your sons and your daughters, your young men and your old men. It's God's way of saying everybody. If you have the Spirit of God in you, if you have turned from your sin and accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've responded to his call upon your life to have a relationship with him, then you have responded to his call upon your life, not just to be blessed by him, not just to have unencumbered, un, um, uh, unlimited access to him for his blessings, but you have a calling of God on your life to serve as a part of the, uh, well, what does he say in uh, Matthew 16? I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, stand with me, if you would. <coughs> what is God saying to us today? as a church. I don't just mean in the last few minutes or hour or whatever. I mean in these days. In these days, what is God saying to us? How is he leading us? What does he want us to, to understand in terms of where we're at and where we need to be going? And what part do you play in that? What's the role he's calling you to? I can't answer that question for you personally. That's not my place. I can try to help you. Assist you taking that question to the Lord. But I do know this. It will involve, with you, it will involve you stepping up and stepping out. I can tell you that. With utter certainty. So you ask yourself today, if you will, what is God calling you to do for his kingdom? What kind of decisions is he asking you to make before him, under his leadership and his guidance, to make a difference in this world for his kingdom? Because I can tell you, people, the ship is sinking. Watch the news today, and they say that 43% of Canadians surveyed couldn't name even one concentration camp. And then we ask ourselves, why is racism making such an incredible sweeping comeback in our world today? I could turn this into another sermon, and it's 18 minutes after 12, and you don't want me to do that, so... But think about it. 
Think about it, Mitchell Faber. How does God want you to step out? Step up and step out. Because he is calling you. I know it. Rick, Sheila, I could go right around the room. I could probably name, I think I could name almost every person in this room. It's kind of part of my role and something that I do that God calls me to do. What's he calling you to do? Pray with me. Lord, I thank you for this people. I thank you that we are a people. And that none of us are alone. And none of us go it alone. That you've called us together to make a difference in this world for Jesus. Help us, Lord. Because we recognize that you are our leader. Jesus, lead your people, we pray. Lead us this day in the decisions we make together as a, as a, a body and, Lord, in our personal, individual, daily decisions, Lord. Lead your people, we pray. And we thank you that you're there for us. In Jesus' name, amen.